How much time okay. do you have left? Um, I have uh, probably like, you know, 20 minutes. So I think we could still get a good like kind of short one. So, okay. Oh, I think recording started. Okay. Okay. So now we can keep, so maybe we'll do a short introduction and then yeah, int okay. introduce it and then you can summarize the case and then we can kind yeah. of go from there. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So um, welcome back to the Accelerators podcast. I'm excited here to be talking with uh, my colleague, uh, Simul Preek, and, uh, and I'm Anna Lashes. And we are uh, talking, um, kind of doing a riff um, just uh, to cover uh, some of the ongoing discussion uh, publicly um, that has been really sparked by uh, the um, conviction of a, a nurse for making a medical error um, in Tennessee. And so we'll kind of delve into that further as well as you know, tie it into um, how this relates to radiation oncology and other areas in medicine. Cool. So this started off as a text conversation we were having this morning. Um, I was a little late to the game and I'm just learning about the case. Um, and essentially uh, there was a medication error and that's putting it, that's um, not a very detailed way of explaining. I'm going to, sorry, I'm so okay. stuck. I'll, I'll edit this one. So. Edit this one. Yeah. Why don't you? So, um, yeah, I can summarize it. So, okay. um, yeah, so essentially, uh, you know, um, again, I admittedly don't know all of the facts about this case. I've just read kind of a few key articles, you know, clicked on the headlines to learn more about it. But my understanding was um, that essentially, uh, there had been kind of an ongoing issue at a at a you know university hospital um, with accessing the the Pixis system and getting kind of medications out of the system that um, you know supposedly had been addressed, but of course you know behaviors take time to change, and kind of the core issue um, that ended up going to court and kind of captured national attention was that um, a nurse uh, had been trying to uh, access Versed um, to help with sedating a patient, um, but ended up uh, kind of overriding the system and took out Vecuronium instead um, and ended up, uh, you know, the patient ended up um, passing away from this issue. Um, and so that's kind of the core, you know, facts as I understand it. And again, admittedly do not know all of the facts, um, but essentially the larger issue and why I think it's really sparked a national debate and kind of conversation is that essentially this nurse, um, however, you know, responsible she, is, you know, truly is for these actions. I think there's definitely, you know, culpability and responsibility there, but it really kind of goes against um, the, you know, really this like root cause analysis that is very commonplace now in quality assurance and initiatives um, throughout medicine and in radiation oncology through royals and other means, um, which really kind of looks at it kind of like a Swiss cheese model and thinks about, okay, here was the ultimate outcome, but what holes, kind of what obstacles and barriers um, did not, you know, prevent this from happening or failed to prevent. And so it's not just the single person's failure, but seeing it as really a system issue and, and an opportunity to improve. And so, and that's really where I have beef with it because, I mean, certainly, you know, the nurse made a mistake. Um, absolutely. But this happens all the time in medicine. Now it doesn't always result in patient death. So it is kind of the worst possible outcome. Um, 
you know, ostensibly. However, right, the institution involved, as well as, you know, other factors that were involved, things like sleep, sleep deprivation, a pattern of Pixis overrides, um, you know, maybe reporting the death as a natural cause versus an error. Um, all of these things, I think, should be part of the conversation. And um, in terms of kind of assigning the sole responsibility to a single person, I don't think is the right um, thing to do, especially labeling her as a criminal and a murderer. Yeah. And so this came up this morning just because it was a little bit late to the story and just started reading about it yesterday and today um, and reading the social media reaction. And typically, if everybody on social media is uh, leaning in one direction, or at least in my feed, I can't help but be a little bit skeptical. And my thought initially was, well, gosh, um, a patient died. It was, it was an error. And we do have errors in medicine, like Anna is saying. And typically, we try to find out the cause or the root cause um, and understand that most of these situations are system errors rather than individual errors. Um, that being said, my, my, my thought was like coming from the family's perspective, what medical errors should be punished criminally, if any, should, and, and that's the question I, I wonder about is, are any medical errors crimes? And we're starting to sort that out and we're starting to tease that out a little bit. And there's extremes, right? Like there's, uh, Dr. Death, the neurosurgeon from Texas who, was a sociopath. Um, and it's unclear whether these, <clears throat> it's not unclear. I'm sorry. These were not medical errors. This was a disaster of a person killing people. Right. But there's degrees of this. And, and how do we decide what is a crime and what is uh, a medical error, but not a crime? And it's very hard for me to sort that out because if I'm the victim or the victim's family, it's a crime to me, <laughs> you know, and it, and maybe that's part of uh, American society. We tend to be litigious. We tend to want to find economic justice if we can't have any other sort of justice. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. And if we can't have economic justice, then we may have some sort of criminal justice, like a jail sentence. Mm -hmm. Oh, certainly. And, and I think, right, there's, I mean, there's other kind of aspects of, of um, you know, really criminality that I think really can be, you know, separated like the wheat from the chaff, you know, from true like medical mistakes or errors. I think that's really in a different ballpark um, than, you know, things like you mentioned with Dr. Death or, you know, it comes to mind, you know, like uh, Larry Nasser, you know, kind of just gross miss, you know, abuse of the a position in medicine to actually do harm. And I think it, it kind of raises the issue of, um, you know, in kind of my rudimentary understanding of law, uh, you know, like, let's say first degree murder, right? You have to have intent and kind of preconception of, of what you're going to do. And it actually causes harm, right? Like death in that instance. But that's true yeah. of, um, or it seems to be true for, for other ways to classify crime and kind of criminal law. There's some degree of like, you know, you know, maliciousness or kind of harm that is intended. And, and I truly, you know, from what I understand about, you know, this case with the nurse, I truly don't think that was the intent. Um, and so, you know, and maybe that's why it was, you know, manslaughter, um, uh, I think was the charge. Uh, but essentially, right, uh, in, in medicine and, and kind of in like radiation, we think about, you know, you would hope that someone that is 
you know, in medicine is in it for the right reasons. It truly wants to help people. I mean, that's that's definitely the reason why I chose, you know, to go into medicine versus other fields. I wanted to like directly help people at the core of, you know, what I do um, with, with a good intent, right? But I think, I mean, and certainly I've made mistakes here. I think we all have. And I think a key thing, and actually it really was a helpful exercise in residency, um, although I kind of, you know, <laughs> rolled my eyes at the time, but but actually it was a really valuable experience, um, was actually participating in a root cause analysis group where we had like a, you know, me and then like thera radiation therapists, um, our safety officer, um, kind of many other, you know, people kind of representing the clinic. And we investigated um, where there had been an error where the patient had been treated to the wrong SSD. Um, even though, you know, obviously a much more, you know, minor um, issue and kind of the ultimate outcome for the patient was not, you know, significant. Um, it was helpful to really, it really kind of raised the <coughs> questions for me about, oh, like, wow, there's so many factors I didn't really think about, like from the therapist side, how, how their workflow works and like all about, I learned what the moding up means and kind of all of these things. And like, there were a number of things having like images of the patient having the cutout had actually been labeled wrong, like the writing on it had been wrong. And so, you know, all of these sorts of things that um, it was actually really valuable thinking about like the inner workings of the actual um, practical delivery of radiation. And so that's been an experience that although initially I was reluctant to do it, was actually really valuable. Um, and but, but I think at the core of it, right, was not assigning blame to, you know, whoever the therapist may have been who set up the patient wrong. It was thinking about, okay, um, how did how did this happen? And it wasn't just the individual, but like the Swiss cheese model, which holes did it go through to get to that degree? Um, and there are many other examples of this, but I think to to really classify something as a as a crime, I think it's way beyond that process, right? Where the root cause analysis would reveal there was a malicious intent. Yeah, yeah, and I think that it's interesting. I was um, I had an experience of uh, a medical error and a root cause analysis, and you know, one of the people involved said that after experiencing this that what they learned from it was that they wouldn't report it. <laughs> uh, and it, it's just an interesting um, response to where I felt like, oh, everybody learned something and got something out of this. But one of the providers involved felt, well, gosh, this was such a pain. And next time I'm just not going to uh, submit to this. And it's unfortunate because I think there is consistent, there is this continuous worry of blame. And like you're saying, like the idea isn't individual blame. Although, you know, occasionally there's going to be like, all right, this, this system was wrong, but this was also, you know, a human error that's recognized. Yeah. Right. And what we want to do is create workflows that minimize those errors. Um, it's, you know, when we, when we were talking about it before, like it does create this idea of let's let's just do you know everything to minimize risk lit, lit, uh, legal risk and that right. that whole defensive medicine yeah and it, which has its own issues it, it increased costs it mm. creates a barrier between you and the patient as a potential uh, adversary rather than a you know collaborator mm -hmm. not you know I don't I don't know yeah and I think this is um the, the these types of cases always kind of open your, open up your eyes to to see like what what would happen to us in that situation or how, how would we handle that? Um, 
when you look at recently in radiation oncology, there was a case in the newspaper of a Northeast radiation oncologist. I think it was upstate New York who lost their license due to uh, egregious medical errors. And, you know, when you look at the document, this is a physician that gave, you know, 50 gray to the brain and then re-irradiated the whole brain again to another 50 or 60 gray. Now you're somewhat fresh out of residency. I've been doing this for 10, 11 years. I think we can agree that giving 110 gray to the whole brain is an egregious error. Now, mm-hmm. what you know, hit that doctor's case. If you look at the the PDF of the uh, all all the things that he was accused of, to me, those look much more like crimes rather than what happened to this young woman. Right. Um, right. Or, or less. Yeah. And and I I agree. And maybe that's a good example of. Um, you know, kind of recklessness to the point of just apathy or not caring about the patient outcome, right? Because I think in in the cases I've seen where there has been a poor outcome for patients that we've discussed at, you know, morbidity and mortality conferences, these sorts of forums where we can really kind of almost like the, you know, RCA kind of evaluate, you know, how, how did these sorts of poor outcomes happen, things like carotid blowouts for, you know, head, head and neck radiation, those sorts of things. Um, but like when we talk about it as a group openly and with transparency, I think that is helpful, right? Even though sure it's a bad outcome, but these sorts of things should not be swept under the rug. Rather, we should bring them to a, a larger forum or even a small group and say, okay, this happened, you know, why did it happen? Again, no blame. And it's hard to remove blame, but essentially saying, you know, not only how did it happen and why, you know, was it something like a hot spot was in the crowded artery or, you know, so we, we actually in our M&Ms were very robust at in Michigan. We would have like the, you know, physics input, the clinical input, and actually look at like the dosimetry plans, things like that. And actually a lot of the conclusions, right, from our kind of review of this as a group, um, which I thought were very well run, um, a lot of times it was, well, you know, this is one of the like, you know, 1% of times that this happens, right? Or, or maybe one in a thousand times that this happens. We also, um, actually, I did an interesting one actually with our chair where it was a second malignancy um, that had happened 20 years later. And, and we know, right, these are statistical possibilities. Now they're not yeah. likely, but they do happen. And so is it is it bad that this happens? Um yeah, I mean, you could say objectively, sure, it's bad, but is it is it altogether, um, you know, were we trying to cause a second malignancy by a given radiation? No, we certainly don't want that outcome for our, for our patient, right? And so I think actually things like palliative care um, and the, the rotations I've done and kind of that environment has actually given me a lot of communication tools that I routinely use in my clinic and I think are helpful in thinking about these types of scenarios um, saying things such as um, to the patient, right? Because because I think the the ultimate thing is you have to be transparent to the patient and the family about what happened, why did it happen, how are we going to you know prevent it if we can. In the case of a second malignancy, you know, of course, yeah. there isn't necessarily a way to prevent it. Although you use right like choosing wisely at the lowest dose possible, um, you try to like you know really limit um, like in pediatric patients especially like the need for radiation. I think there are ways we can do it systemically, but I think ultimately having a culture where number one, you know, like the the IHI report to errors human, we we all make errors. Um, yeah. is, but kind of diff- like really teasing out what's an error versus 
what is, yeah, like a bad thing. And so I think in the case, bringing it back to the case you brought up where, um, you know, a doctor had given over a hundred gray to the brain, especially if they hadn't counseled the patient about the risks involved, it's um, really, um, that's irresponsible and it's not, and, and he should, you know, that person should lose their license if it truly was a scenario where they, th- they think it's okay to do that or to not, at least at the very least, have a very, you know, detailed discussion with the patient and the family about the risk. Because I think we actually did do a handful of re-radiation cases, like whole brain re-radiation, but it was, it was always in the context of like, we had a very, you know, robust discussion with the patient and carefully, you know, documented all that. Um, but I think that is ultimately what has to happen to, to show that you care. And if you, if you're a doctor in medicine that doesn't care and is just going to do these things that are reckless or dangerous and you don't uh, tell the patient of the danger involved, that is where I think you could actually have criminal um, consequences because that truly goes against the Hippocratic Oath, right? Do no harm. Right. Right. And uh, I think there's going to be, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of um, blowback from this, both good and bad. I mean, I think we're going to have to work, uh, continue to work on error reduction look at the causes of these issues that happen. Something we talked about a little bit more earlier, what uh, offline was uh, how much stress and uh, high workload um, can lead to medical errors. And then also a broader discussion on uh, criminality of, of medical errors and what is a crime and what is just an adverse effect or, or an error that just needs to be sorted out, even though that there, even though there has been, uh, significant harm or death. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a process because this is, I mean, medicine is still like continually, in my opinion, getting safer and safer. But when these events happen, it makes us all take a, take a broad look at, at what we're doing and how to improve. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think too, just as a very quick note, I know we're kind of wrapping up, but, um, these incident learning systems, right? Like Royals, you know, through Astro or a lot of institutions have their own kind of, you know, incident learning systems where issues can be reported. I think what's really important is is, um, having a culture of anonymity as well as um, no fear of retaliation for these sorts of things and no blame. And that's hard to do, but I think that ultimately it really gets down to that. And also that these incident learning systems are used appropriately. Because I think at one place I had been, um, you know, there were like dozens of these that were entered all the time. And it was for like interpersonal issues, like, oh, this person was late or rude or, you know, things like that should not be dealt with in a true like incident learning system formal process. Like that process, right, is there for things like an error happened, you want to report it. And then essentially, right, anything you're reporting ideally should be amenable to like a root cause analysis of what happened. Someone being rude, maybe that's not a, a root cause analysis worthy a patient like a near miss, right? There were some of those that I used that incident learning system to report. And that's and that's kind of a, a key thing in like the QI lingo that I know, you know, our other co-host Matt Spraker is very passionate about as well. Um, but right, there's like a an actual bad, there was a bad outcome. That's kind of what's discussed to like MMs, but also near misses, like things where it's like, oh, the patient could have had a bad outcome or could have gotten the wrong treatment or like laterality, right? We think about checklists. And so um, these types of incident learning systems have to be used 
appropriately and kind of just raise it to the level, like, like kind of be, you know, think about it before you're reporting. If it's an interpersonal issue, don't use this system. But at the same time, don't be afraid to report it because even if it's a mistake you made, because we can all learn something from it at the end of the day and think about as a group, how can we do better? And But I do think that having anonymous but structured ways to address it is really the way to go. And just for anyone out there who loves like Atul Gawande's work, I love the checklist manifesto for this sort of thing, where he actually addressed, you know, not only medical errors, but also efficiency and, and achieving high quality care, because that's what, what it all gets down to. And what's awesome about that book is he actually... So he's a surgeon in Boston, but he actually did some research in other fields like engineering. He like went and like wore a hard hat and like talked to the engineers like, oh, what quality assurance systems do you guys use? And really the the kind of end of it, right, is that to kind of spoil the ending is that, um, but it's on the title, is like he, he employed a checklist, like a simple checklist to say, essentially it's the timeout, you know, that we do before a procedure and we say, okay, patient name patient date of birth or MRN, uh, what are we doing today? What laterality? Um, and so this actually significantly reduced medical errors in his system. And I think it's something that, you know, I'm really passionate about and would love to continue working on um, as well. So there are there are tools we can use, you know, it's not all, you know, bad, but I think that, um, yeah, it, it sparks some really interesting thoughts. It'll be great to see where things go. Yeah. Well, this is great. Um, <clears throat> this is a great lead into uh, upcoming episode when we're going to talk more about quality improvement. Um, uh, both Anna and Matt are really into it and I'm interested as well, but I don't know as much as they do. So we'll have some great guests for that episode, but uh, thanks for joining. Yeah. Thanks for joining. Stay tuned.